0: Amen. Think about those words one more time that we just sang. You're a good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. You hear how closely that relationship is tied. It's who you are. That's why it's who I am. Let that sink in. Because I think those words that we just sang together is what Jesus would want us to hold on to as we dive deeper into Luke chapter 11 today. Because if you remember, in the last couple of chapters, Jesus has been teaching his disciples a lot of things, and even just last week, we saw how he was at the house of Mary and Martha, and Martha was reminded, your serving is great, that is wonderful, that's important, but don't miss on just spending time with God. And right after that, I'd never noticed this before until we took these two things together last week, Luke describes how right after reminding Martha to spend time with God, Jesus went away to pray. Jesus himself went to spend time with his heavenly father. And I think there was something attractive about what he did there because when he came back from praying, his disciples who were waiting for him asked him, teach us how to pray. Guys that probably knew about prayer, probably grew up praying, and yet they saw something in what Jesus did, something in the relationship he had with his father that they said, what is that thing? Hey, tell us how we can experience that thing. And so then Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but this is easy for me to hear something like the Lord's Prayer and say, okay, that's how to pray? Got it. All right, memorize it, repeat it back to God. Ah, Did I miss any words? I hope I didn't, because then it won't work, right? We so quickly turn what he's giving us to experience into a ritual. And it's not that routine is bad. In fact, I love even how we did it last week, praying through the Lord's Prayer, pausing after each, each phrase to say, God, apply that to me today. That's so valuable. But I think Jesus wants to make sure that we know that this idea of prayer is about relationship, not ritual. And so he continues in this chapter to teach them on prayer. But he's going to do it a little bit differently. And I think the reason for that is because when we think about prayer, when we think about the way we talk to God, when we think about bringing our needs to God, it's in some ways it's less about how we pray. It's more about who we're praying to. That's why I think that song was so perfect. It's who you are. Well, who is he? So think about it. If you knew you needed help, who would you ask? If you knew you needed help, who would you ask? You know, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe about a year ago, blew out a tire on the interstate. This had never happened to me before, and it is as scary as it sounds. So whole family in the van, tire blows out, everyone's okay, but now we're off to the side of the road, and I need help. I mean, the tow truck guy will come here eventually, but I'm actually late to Horizon. And what do I do with my family? So I called two friends, not people that are too far away to help, not people that I think don't like me and wouldn't help, but I called people that I thought could help, and I thought would help, right? Isn't that who you would call? Isn't that who you would ask? And so Jesus is actually going to help us answer that question by telling a story today. In fact, he gives us what we know as a parable, now, parables are really interesting because we think of them often as a story. You know, there once was a man from wherever and he did this thing and that thing. And sometimes that is true. But really, at its foundation, what a parable offers us is an opportunity to make a comparison. To lay two things alongside each other and see where is their similarity and where is their contrast. And usually out of that comes a simple truth that we can hang on to. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We take the parable that Jesus is telling, and we saw how if we lay Jesus alongside of it, you see the similarity. Jesus is the good Samaritan. And at the end of his teaching, he said, now, go and do likewise. Lay your life alongside this parable and compare. Are they similar? Is there contrast? Which one are you looking for? A couple weeks ago, I was reading Psalm 78. Have you read Psalm 78? Really interesting. Second verse, he says, I will open my mouth with a parable. Oh, cool. That's, so there's going to be like one of those stories. No story. The entire rest of Psalm 78 is history. It gives a picture of God's people, Israel, as they're brought out of Egypt, as they're brought into the P- promised land, as he gives them water from a rock and bread from heaven and blesses them time and time again. And every time he blesses them, they rebel. How is this a parable? Take the history of Israel. Lay your life alongside it. Similarity? Well, Psalm 78 is encouraging us, be in contrast (laughs) to that kind of rebellion. It's a parable. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, he actually says... So Jesus spoke to them in parables and so was fulfilled what was written in the prophet, I will open my mouth with a parable, Psalm 78 two. That this is a key piece of the way that Jesus teaches and ministers that actually fulfills prophecy out of the book of Psalms. So why does he do this? Well, part of it is to make it relatable, but even deeper than that is because he doesn't want to just tell us. Pray like this, say these words, done. Okay, got it. Right? He wants the relationship. He wants us to experience. He wants us to discover. That's why he gives parables that let us kind of put ourselves in that situation. Imagine you were that person. Imagine you were in that situation. How would you react? And so in Luke 11, verse 5, he tells us this parable so that we can make the comparison. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give to you. All right, so take this story in for a minute, because we can probably relate a little bit to like someone waking you up in the middle of the night, Have you ever had that rude awakening? Any number of reasons. It's kind of annoying. But there's a lot more going on here, because... What Jesus is picturing is what a common home would have been like that time, probably in the lower part of society, but often they would have like a one-room house. And so there would be a main area that you would come into where most of the day's activity would happen, but in the back of the house was a raised platform. In the middle of that platform would be the fire. This is where they would do the cooking, but it would also keep them warm. So at night, all of the family would lay mats around the fire to go to sleep. All of the family, adults, children, even the baby. And you know how they wake up every two hours because they think they have to eat again and you finally got the baby back to sleep. And here comes a friend at midnight, (laughs) right? Like this is the moment. This is not just, hey, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Knocking on that door wakes up the entire family. So why is he even doing it? Well, in that culture they had what was essentially a law of hospitality. If somebody comes to you who's been on a journey, you not only have to take them in, but you have to provide for them. And it's not just like, hey, we had stew for dinner. I think there's some left in the fridge. No, you prepare them a feast. And so what Jesus is describing for us is somebody who was caught unawares. A friend shows up and they've got nothing to give them. So what do they do? They have to provide. So even though it might be rude, even though it's the middle of the night, they go over to their friend's house and say, you gotta help me, right? So think about that moment as everyone has just fallen asleep, and then you hear, hey! Hey, you gotta help me, hey! <clears throat> good morning, uh, good evening, do you, <clears throat> do you have any bread? <laughs> everybody's awake, it's ruined the entire night for the friend he's coming to. So you can imagine what the response would be like. The disciples are listening to this story. Where do they fit in? What is Jesus getting at here? If he's describing prayer for us, what is the moment that is happening? Right? And what's really interesting, and I love that the New King James has preserved this, all of verses five through seven is actually one long question. And the grammar like barely works in English because we just don't speak this way. But Jesus is basically saying, who of you has a friend who would actually do this? But it's actually not the interrupting friend. I'll try to read it to you as one long question, but then we'll have to unpack it a little bit. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Who has a friend who would actually say that? See, what Jesus is asking them, the implication of the question is, even if your friend came to you that late at night, which of you has a friend who would actually turn him down when you know that he needs help? In fact, that's what he draws out in the next verse as we continue to make the comparison. He says in verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Here. Take a hundred so you don't have to come back. Okay, that's kind of the moment that is happening here. But Jesus is teaching us about prayer, so what do we do with this? Here's our parable. We lay prayer alongside it. Similarity or contrast? See, I think if we're looking for similarity, what ends up happening is we say, so God is the sleeping friend, right? And He's reluctant to give things to us, but if we really badger him, if we're really obnoxious, then he will. What about you? That doesn't quite sit right with me. In fact, if that's the way we take it, then what ends up happening is, what if you pray and it isn't answered the way that you hoped? Is it your fault? Maybe you didn't pray hard enough. Maybe you didn't believe hard enough. And what ends up happening is that actually turns into something closer to the power of positive thinking. Like, if I just really mean it. I must not have really meant it last time, but I really mean it today, Lord. And, right? And then we become in a position where we think we have to coerce things from God. So I actually think that this is a parable of contrast. And believe it or not, part of it comes out of that word, persistence. Persistence. This is an interesting word because the original Greek word that Luke uses here, this is one of the places that he shows off uh, his doctor-level intellect. This is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word is used. But it was more common in larger Greek culture. And so when you look in places like uh, Plato and Plutarch, you find out that this word is actually something closer to shamelessness. This idea that you know you shouldn't, but you're going to anyway because you don't care. (laughs) Right? Like, I know they're sleeping, I know they have a baby, but I need some bread, so I'm doing it anyway. Right? Like, who would have the audacity to wake up the baby in the middle of the night because you didn't have enough bread? That's the picture that's given to us here. In fact, the, uh, the King James actually has probably a better English word for this, but it's one we just don't really use much anymore. Importunity. Not because of their friendship, but because of his importunity. So, fun exercise, you can do this later. If you ask Google, define importunity. The example it gives is an obnoxious and annoying teenager who continues to beg over and over, Mom, please take me to the mall. Okay, That's the word that is being used here. Now I think we begin to see the contrast. Think about it this way. I know everyone in this room has either been a child or had children. Isn't it amazing how I know that? But here's what that means. That means you've been the kid who woke up in the middle of the night asking for something, or you've had kids wake up in the middle of the night asking for something. And so our kids are definitely at that age where like, they'll sleep through the night, but at least a couple times a week, somebody is... Dad! Dad! Rude awakening. Okay. Dad! He said, Mom, right? You heard Mom. Okay, okay, Dad. All right, okay, Dad. Can I have some water? Sure. Give him some water. Go back to bed. Now, think about this moment. Because Jesus says it's not because of their friendship. It's because of his persistence. It's because of his importunity. Why did I give that kid water? It's not because he's my son. He he is my son, right? Because of that relationship, I mean, we wouldn't be in this situation if I wasn't his dad and he wasn't my son. But I have three more kids and I didn't give any of them water. And I don't set alarms on my phone to wake me up in the middle of the night to give water to everybody just in case. I gave him water because he asked. See, I think that starts to get us towards what Jesus is driving at here. It's not that we talk God into something. It's not that we force God to give us things. It's not the power of positive thinking or that we just have to get the ritual right. And if I just said the Lord's Prayer enough times or the right way or in the right translation, then he would hear me. It's that we have this relationship. It's as if Jesus is saying, if even an unfriendly friend will give to a person in need, even when they're being rude, how much more in just a few verses he's going to tell us how much more will God give and he doesn't even consider it rude because guess what God never slumbers or sleeps you're not waking him up <laughs> he's waiting for you so Jesus tells us ask In verse 9, he puts it this way. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. As if Jesus is saying, don't hesitate to ask. Do you ever hesitate to ask? I do. In fact, I think... You know, even as I stand up here, sometimes people say, you know, I wish I had the confidence you have, the faith you have, all the way you just trust God like that. Hey, can we just be honest with one another? I believe every word of this. When I tell you don't hesitate to ask, I mean it because I believe it. I believe it when I read it. I believe it when I tell you. And then there's these times where I act like I don't believe it. And then there's these moments where we think, well, I shouldn't bug God about that. Well, that's probably that's too small or maybe that's too big or maybe that's just not the kind of thing we should ask him about. I, I, I should just be content. I shouldn't think about it. And sometimes we think maybe he's maybe he's angry at me. Maybe he is reluctant and maybe I should just leave him alone. I shouldn't wake him up in the middle of the night. Jesus is telling you don't hesitate to ask. And some people say that. Hey, you need anything. Don't hesitate to ask. And that kind of means like I hope that makes me look nice, but I hope they don't really ask. (laughs) Jesus is so convinced that God means it. He believes wholeheartedly and he's teaching his followers, you want to experience prayer the way Jesus experiences it? You can, because he's your father. He is biased in your favor and he can be trusted to answer. And so Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. That is all over Scripture. This promise that if we seek after God, we seek him with all of our heart, he will not hide from us and say, look how funny how hard they're trying. No, he wants that. He's waiting for that. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And he repeats those same words in verse 10 as if to say that there's a continual sense to this. And this is kind of where that idea of persistence does come in. Not in the sense of, hey, you just got to be more obnoxious. You, know? you just got to be really, really audacious with God. But scripture does tell us that we boldly approach the throne of grace. That when you realize who he is and who you are and you feel like I shouldn't even be in his presence, if you know Christ as your forgiver... He has already brought you into His presence, and He's just waiting for you to ask. You know, if you think about that situation with me and my son, it's almost as if God is sitting outside your bedroom door all night long with a cup of water because He knows you're going to need it. Now, how silly would it be to lay awake in your bed thinking to yourself, "I'm really thirsty"? but I probably shouldn't get up. I probably shouldn't bug God about it. I mean, I am really thirsty, but I bet he wouldn't want to give me water anyway, so I'm just going to lay here and be thirsty. (laughs) Right? Then you finally get up the courage. You go boldly through that door. You say, hey, Dad? I know. He's willing. He's eager. He's ready to give. So Jesus invites us. It's an invitation into this relationship that Jesus himself experienced with God, that we could be a part of it. So what does that look like practically in day-to-day life? Listen, I know there's a lot of you who it would actually be better if we switched places and you told us, hey, how have you been experiencing this for the last 40 years? But I'll give you just a couple of what I've found to be helpful because there are tools that can help you make this routine. And routine can be helpful. Not ritual to where it just becomes like, you know, magic words that I hope work but a routine to help us be committed to this, to be persistent, to continue asking, seeking, and knocking. You you can use something as simple as um, like a Bible app that will set you an alarm and and every day remind you, hey, here's a verse to read, and use that to pray through this day. Uh, One of the things that I found really helpful, a little booklet called Praying Scripture Back to God. And within this booklet uh, is essentially paraphrased scripture, kind of put into the first person. So you can say, you mean I can ask for that? <laughs> you mean that kind of peace is available? That, that kind of joy is possible? That, that sounds like too much to ask, but you said it, God. So, boldly I approach the throne. Pray his words back to him. And there's something really valuable about waking up an hour earlier, half an hour earlier. You're spending time at, at a dedicated moment each day to say, God, I want to talk to you. I've got some things I want to ask you for. I want to hear from you. Will you speak to me? And just be quiet for a moment. But it's more than that. Because if this is a relationship, think about your kids again. How weird would it be if your kids talked to you every morning and then for the rest of the day, they were responsible to remember anything else they think of for when they talk to you again tomorrow morning. <laughs> Sorry, can't help you right now. We have a scheduled time. I'll see you in the morning. Well, of course not. They're your kids. They don't care even if you did give them that kind of schedule. <laughs> hey, dad. Well, uh, yes. Hey, dad. Like, That's what makes working from home so hard, right? <laughs> they are in a relationship with you. It is the most natural thing in the world for children to say to their mom, to their dad, even to grandparents. Hey, can I ask you for something? Hey, I got a question. Hey, I need something. Hey, I want something. Without thinking about if it's rude or if it's audacious or anything else because the relationship is there. That's how Jesus is describing for his disciples that they can approach God. In fact, as you think about this, Jesus is making the contrast even stronger as he continues through this passage. Because if that first question was kind of set up as, who of you would have a friend that if someone came for help, he would really say no? I'm telling you, it's not because they're friends, it's because he asked, right? So who who has a friend who would really do that? It's the same kind of question that now comes in verses 11 and 12. We've seen the unfriendly friend, now we're seeing an unloving father. Jesus says, if a son... Asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Same kind of question, rhetorical question. The answer is, Jesus, of course not, but what's your point? where, where, Where are you going with this? Now, the picture here is that Jesus is giving three different comparisons that believe it or not are kind of the same. So take a loaf of bread, for example. Nice French loaf with one end cut off. I don't know about you, I like to put a little bit of butter on that or a lot of butter on that. (laughs) We should probably put less butter on that. Except this isn't bread. You're looking at a rock. It really is. And I know it's like, okay, bread and a rock. I guess I can kind of see that. But see, what Jesus is telling you is, hey, if somebody asks you for bread... It's one thing to just say, no. It's another thing, this is like another level to say, oh yeah, I'll give you bread. Hand them a rock that looks like bread and wait for them to break their teeth. Right, the picture he's giving here is what father among you would hear a request for something good and give them something painful? Nobody, right? Although I have seen the clips on YouTube, have you seen this, where parents tell their kids they get to open a Christmas present early and the kids are all excited and they open it and it's like a half-eaten sandwich. (laughs) Just to see how the kids will respond, it's like, haven't they read Luke 11? You're not supposed to do that. (laughs) Okay, so in general, in general, this isn't how that relationship works, right? And that's important for us to understand. Because I can see a little bit how a bread might look like a rock, but would somebody really try to trick you with that? Well, what about this second one? He says a, a fish and a serpent. Well, it makes more sense if you realize, no, this is not a pile of snakes. This is a pile of eels, which are scientifically a fish. Gills, scales, little fins even up by their heads, all of that stuff. You could see how that looks like a snake, couldn't you? In fact, Pastor Doug was telling me about a time that there was a barrel full of fish with one snake in it. The snake fell out and started slithering across the ground and the guy shouts, you gotta get that snake out of here and the person picked it up and put it right back in the barrel because it was not a snake, it was an eel. It was for sale today. So who, if their son asked for a fish, an eel, which they could, they would catch in that area. I would, they are delicious. I don't cook them that well so you gotta go get them like sushi, you know? Who asked for that good thing? And their dad hands him a serpent and waits for him to get bit. Okay, so maybe I can see the bread. That's kind of, it's sort of like a rock. I get that, Jesus. Uh, Maybe a fish if you mean an eel and a serpent. But what is going on with an egg and a scorpion? I mean, who can make that mistake? Well, here's a science lesson for you before I show you the picture. Did you know that when the mama scorpion gives live birth to sometimes up to a hundred baby scorpions, they will hang out on her back for the first few weeks until they shed their first exoskeleton. While they do that, they are almost completely white while the brown mama scorpion blends into the ground. And you look at this, it actually kind of looks like an egg. <laughs> Maybe the most obvious of the three but now you get how stark Jesus wants this contrast to be, because who would hear their son say, Hey Dad, can I have an egg? <laughs> yeah, you can have that one. Right? Jesus wants us to know that God is a good giver. He is a good father. That when we come for Him, when we come to Him for good things, He does not play tricks on us. And when we come for him for good things, he wants us to have good things. But as you're listening today, again, if we switch places, or if you catch me while I'm studying this, pouring through this, praying through this, trying to understand this, keep on asking and you'll keep on receiving. Keep on seeking and you'll keep on finding. Keep on knocking and you will keep seeing doors opened. Yeah, but God, what about that one thing? I mean, I've seen that happen. There's there's places where I've prayed and it's like, Oh, where did that door even come from? And it's wide open. And there's other things where it's like, But God, I've been praying for so long. And God, I'm sure it's a good thing. You know, my wife and I have been in the house hunt process for the last ten months. 10 months of scheduling like every weekend. Let's go look at some houses. And we need a house. You know, we want to be a little closer to Horizon. You know, enough space to raise our family. My wife is homeschooling. All those pieces. So we're praying for a good thing. You know, this would be good for our family. Dear Lord, you know, we think the time is right. We want to rest on you. And so would you bring us this thing? Well, for the first few months, not a lot of action. And finally we get under contract on this house and we think like this is the one. This is a good egg and this is going to be great. Inspection report comes back. That egg is a scorpion. <laughs> but Lord we wanted this one and it was going to be good and I thought you wanted us to have good things and there are moments where God looks at what we're praying for and we think we're asking for bread. It really feels like it. We're really sure that this is what we need. We want that bread. We want that fish. We want that egg. And he's telling us, I know you do, but trust me, it's a rock and you're going to break your teeth. It's a serpent and it's going to bite you. It's a scorpion and you're going to get stung. He's a good giver. So while at the same time, if we ask for good things, he won't trick us with things that are bad for us. If we ask for bad things, whether we realize it or not, he's also good enough that he doesn't want us to have those things. And so I think part of this is understanding sometimes it's less about what we're asking for and again, it's about who God is. In fact, with that first house, just to let you into my world, how I process this, I realized there were pieces of the way I was praying about that that I was not even aware of in myself. That I was thinking on some level, and if you give us this house, then I'll know, what? That you love me? That I'm really forgiven? That I'm really blessed? That, what? And it's one of those things, like I would never verbalize it, because I know better than that. I would certainly never tell that to you, because we know better than that. And yet, there was just this little corner of my brain that was hanging on to something. And I hope you are not as slow of a learner as I am, (laughs) but we have finally just moved into a new house, and I think I needed 10 months. Because I thought I learned that from the first house, and so then on the second house, we were under contract on. Praise the Lord that I learned that other thing last time, because this is the one Lord, and I see it, and I believe you, and that one fell through too. Well, Well, now we find out, did I really learn it last time? You see, because even more than the house was what he was teaching me about himself. That there are things from Psalm 33, even similar to what Neil shared with us, right? That God's plans never fail. That I can make my plan, pray for my plan, and then say, but I'm sure there's scorpions I'm not seeing, so I'm giving it to you, Lord. Show me your plan. You know, to the point that even the house we ended up in the day before closing, we find out, guess what, you're not closing. And the whole thing might fall through after all. And you've already packed the boxes, and you're already putting stuff on a pod. And in that moment, to be like, how's well, your plan, Lord? How did I get here? How am I okay with that? It's that peace that passes all understanding. What that means is, you could have all understanding. You could have all the facts. You could know where every scorpion, every egg, every loaf of bread, all of those things are and still not have peace. But if you trust him for however he answers and however long it takes, then you have not only the peace of God, but peace with God. That when we pray that way, even as Jesus had to pray in the garden, here's my ask. Here's my request. Take this cup from me, if it's at all possible. God's answer was no. Because Jesus said, and yet, thy will be done. And God knew that this was going to be painful, but there was a greater thing to come. Like he just taught us in the Lord's Prayer, right? That's how we start. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we do. We ask for our daily bread. We ask for our sins forgiven. All in the context of him as our father. And I think that's how Jesus brings it home in verse 13. Because if you know who you are, and you know who you are asking, then watch this. If you then, being evil... So he compares his disciples to these unloving fatherly examples. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your heavenly father? Hey, dad. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, how would you feel if Jesus walked up to you? You just asked him, teach me to pray. We want that, Lord. Hey, you guys are evil, and even you can figure this out. Did he just call us evil? Bro, I think he meant Judas, (laughs) right? No, he, he means the group. You see, what he's saying is, if even you, human beings who make mistakes, who don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards, that's why the Lord's Prayer includes, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, If even you understand what a good gift looks like, how much more can you trust your heavenly father to give good gifts? I don't know what your relationship with your dad was like. None of our relationships with our dads are perfect. But the heavenly father is perfect and Jesus gives us this parable, gives us this contrast because like that song we sang, I know that there are a lot of stories about what people think God is like. And sometimes we fall into this thing where we think he's a reluctant friend and he doesn't really want to give and he's not happy with you right now and so you better not think for a second. But the reality is he's waiting outside your bedroom door with a glass of water and he just wants you to ask. And it may be that you are sitting here this morning and you have trusted Christ as your forgiver as your Savior, that you say, I know the things that I've gotten wrong and God, I know that the only way that it can be right is because Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood for me. Then this thing that he promises right here, the Holy Spirit, is already in you. It may be that you're sitting here and you don't know what that relationship is like. You haven't understood Christ as forgiver. There's a Heavenly Father waiting for you to ask. And if you think... I, I better not. I bet I, he might. He probably couldn't forgive me. I better just listen. He wants to give good gifts, and that first one is grace. It's forgiveness, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not some weird kind of disembodied force, but a person who is here to help you. Remember, we asked that question: if you really needed help would you ask? How about asking the helper? In fact, in John 14, even as here Luke instructs us to ask for the spirit, you know Jesus asked for the spirit for you? He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. When Matthew tells this, he tells us God gives good gifts. When Luke tells this, being even more specific that available to you at all times if you just ask is the Holy Spirit. Not because he comes and goes. When, When you become a follower of Christ he is in you. But we don't always follow. We don't always let him take the lead. But if you stop and you say Lord Father in heaven I know you give good gifts. I know you've given me your spirit as a guarantee of the good things you want to do in my life and in my eternity. So today, right now, give me your spirit to have self-control when I'm tempted, to lust, to get angry, to gossip. Give me your spirit's energy when I don't have enough to be gentle or to keep loving or to speak calmly to my spouse and my kids. Give me your spirit's confidence and courage To reach out to my friends and neighbors and help them experience you the way I have. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Does that sound good? That is bread. That is a fish. That is an egg. And if you keep on asking, you will keep on receiving. If you keep on seeking, you will keep on finding. If you keep on knocking, the doors to the fruit of the Spirit will keep on being opened. He is available to you today. So what better way to wrap up this passage than to close in prayer and to ask Him for the Spirit right now? Can we do that together? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for who you are and that we can be defined not by the things that we have done or haven't done, wrong or right, achieved or haven't achieved, but by our identity in you and our relationship to you as our Father. Lord, for those of us who don't know you as Father, I pray for your grace to enter into our lives even today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those who do, who have seen you that way, who have trusted you as forgiver, we come to you as your children even though it might be the middle of the night and we just ask with thanksgiving that you have given us your spirit we ask Lord that your spirit would empower us today Lord as Peter who was there that day even wrote later your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness and so Lord I know what that is for me today but I don't know for everyone here so in this next moment would you just listen to our hearts as we ask you for the spirit in the places that we need to find bread today And Father, we will ask it all for your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. I would invite you to go in the spirit today and we will see you back next week for more of Luke. Thank you for coming.